uh, we will be getting our building permit. We're excited. Um, I say that, but the city's tricky, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that could be happening this week. A couple things, just be praying about this. Pray that we, that we do have favor with the city and we do get this building permit. It's just been delayed so much, so much, so much. Um, and then pray also uh, financially. We're still talking to lending institutions. We, we feel pretty confident we've narrowed it down to, to the one that we want to use. Um, they're, they're, they're working with us so amazingly. Rates and everything are just so powerful. You guys, everything has gone up. All building, everything has gone up. Um, in fact, we just found out, we actually changed the plans a little bit to use a different type of support because some of the supports are not available until uh, January of next year. So, like the roof, I think it's roof or something. It's, it's, you know, they said words. But, um, but so, so everything's gone up. We're, we're concerned about this. Um, everything's a lot more expensive. But just be praying that everything just clicks like it's supposed to in the next uh, couple weeks. And then uh, we will be ready to build. And uh, excited about that. Excited about that. So, um, something I wanted to mention. I saw this. The CDC released this. You can go to the CDC website for this. CDC released this this week. Um, 9,245 Americans have tested positive for COVID-19 after vaccination. Just process that a little bit. Almost 10,000 people have caught COVID after vaccination. Okay? 132 of them have died. After vaccination. You see, I'm one of those silly, naive people that think vaccination, the number of people that should catch COVID after vaccination should be around zero. I, I'm one of those weirdos, uh, fanatics that think that kind of stuff around, you know, round number like zero. Um, I just want you to be thinking about this stuff. I, I don't think everything that we're seeing and that's happening in our country right now and it's happening across the world and specifically with COVID and all this, I just don't think it's legit. I think there's a lot of stuff that's just not right that's going wrong. And uh, so be processing that, be thinking about some of this. I do want to, um, to introduce you to somebody and I want to, to uh, encourage you to go look at something. Um, this is a, a picture of a guy named Vody. Bauckham and his family. Uh, Vody is a pastor, preacher. Um, I would strongly encourage you can actually look him up right now. You won't offend me if I see you doing this. And even if it's playing cards, um, you can look him up. But here's what it is. There's a specific message that I want you to listen to from him. Okay, It's about uh, the difference between biblical justice and social justice. And he nails it. He brings it strong with this very solid message. The difference between biblical justice and social justice, because they are not the same. In fact, they're night and day difference. And he brings this up. If you want a copy of that message, email the church office, office at cabbage.org, email the church office, and we will send you that link for that particular message. Um, if you can find it yourself, that's good. I mean, some of you are savvy enough, you can find it yourself, that's fine. Um, but, but he's got a lot of messages out there. You can listen to them. They're all good. He's a solid guy. Um, he, he, he's not Pentecostal. He leans Reformed, but solid guy. So, uh, but if you want that specific message, the one that I'm encouraging you to get, please just email the church office and we'll send you the link. All right? It's already set up to do that. All right, so I'm going to be um, 
speaking on a, uh, a, a subject that I, I, usually, I speak about every now and then. It's been a, the, the drought between the last one and this one is much longer than I've ever had. I usually speak about the frog and the rock about every couple years. And um, I haven't spoke about the frog and the rock in a long time. I'm going to do this morning and next Sunday. I'm going to speak about the frog and the rock, okay? Um, so my, my kids always give me a hard time. They're like, Dad, don't you know any more sermons than that? This is not a, a, a same-ass sermon. It's a same-ass story. The message is different, but same-ass story, okay? You'll know that. You'll get to see that after next week. But here's the thing with the frog and the rock is um, this is something that God really just put on my, my heart and mind years ago to process through when I'm thinking about uh, my relationship with Jesus and my faith and all that kind of stuff. And here's, here's part of the reason. I realized Jesus is, is all the omnis, right? He, he is amazing. He is transcendent. He's all powerful, everything. He, there's nothing that, that he can't do. But here's what I realized in my own life. And then as a pastor, I, I realized this is that Jesus is not limited in who he is. He is not limited in his power or anything like that, but he is greatly limited in our lives according to how we think about him. How we process who he is determines how we serve him, how we pray, all these different things. How The Jesus that we serve... Now, I don't want, to mis- I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying we're serving a false Jesus. I'm saying the Jesus that we serve, we have so limited... That he's, that he's not being allowed to be Jesus in most things. And by the way, every one of us are guilty of this at different levels. Even, even at the greatest, that you're, you're, uh, the greatest relationship of anybody on the planet, you're still seeing limitedness when it comes to Jesus. Okay, um, he's, just, he's just so much bigger than we could possibly know. But, but what happens is, is de- determined by how we think, how we process, how we, how we understand him, our experiences, our baggage, all kinds of other stuff. We can greatly limit Jesus and what he wants to do in our life, the, the, his, the things that he wants to, to supernaturally do in our life, teach us, show us, breakthroughs, all kinds of different stuff, because we, we see him small. So then, for the most part, he's, he then becomes small in our life. Although every now and then, and I've experienced this too, and I'm sure many of you have, that every now and then he just kind of on a bunch of stuff and then just scares you to death with how big he is, Right? Um, what, what my desire is, is that we're constantly be constantly um, thinking bigger and letting Jesus reveal himself more to us so that, that even today we see Jesus bigger and more clearly than we did yesterday. And that he can do more things. And we go into this week knowing Jesus can do more, not that he can do less. And with that we're always pushing forward with that kind of thing. In Romans chapter 12, I read uh, last couple of weeks, um, that we're supposed to become living sacrifices, and then the Holy Spirit changes the way we think. And that, and, that deter- and that shows us, reveals to us God's will. That we change the way we think, and that, sh- and that reveals to us God's will. That 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that Satan is going to attack the way you think about God. The way you think about God. And then that, the next few verses after that, it says that we're supposed to bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Why? Because it's the way you think about Jesus that determines how you pray. If you, if you were raised all your life that Jesus doesn't heal, that some kind of cessationist mentality, if you were, and this is kind of more um, like, like mainline, even uh, like a conservative Baptist and stuff like that. If you were raised all your life that Jesus doesn't heal today, there's no gifts of the Spirit today and all that kind of stuff, you won't pray for that. Because you've been taught that's not legit. That's not what he does. That's not who Jesus is. 
It doesn't matter that Jesus literally is that. He is the healer. He is the provider. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us for us to know him better. All these different things. But if you've been taught against that, your, your, your mind, even if you're open to it, even if you're, and if you're sitting here, hopefully you're open to it. If, if, even if you're open to it, if you've been taught that all your life, it's hard to break through that stuff. And it changes the way you pray. It changes the way you think. It changes all kinds of things. I've heard many people over the years, more than I can count, pray something that the Bible says is God's will for them. And when they pray, they'll pray, if it's your will. Well, the Bible's already established that. What you're doing when you say, if it's your will, is you are revealing that you don't think there's a, that you think there's a possibility it's not. Although the Bible already says it is. I've heard people literally pray about salvation. Lord, save my cousin, if it's your will. <clears throat> Guys, it is. Okay, it is. You don't have to add that addendum. Throw that out. All you have to, to, to pray is, Lord, save him, because you know that it's God's will that he be saved. So, so in thinking, you've got to change your thinking. You've got to change your thinking process. All right, so frog in the rock. Frog's hopping through the woods. Mind his own business. And uh, rock falls on top of the frog, traps the frog under the rock. And he can't move, can't get out. He is going to die underneath that rock. There's nothing he can do. He strained, tried, did everything. He cannot get out from underneath that rock. You come walking along, and you see a, a rock sitting there with frog lips sticking out from underneath it. Because he's got to talk to you. So frog lips say, um, a little help over here. And so you go, and you pick up the rock off the frog, throw the rock away. You saved that frog's life. That's the most amazing thing that could possibly have happened with that frog. It was truly miraculous because that frog was going to die underneath that rock. There was nothing he could do. The circumstances in his world were completely uh, locked in, determined by, by the rock falling on top of him, and he was going to die in those circumstances. But then you come by and you just remove the rock off of the frog. It wasn't a big deal for you. It wasn't a miracle for you wasn't supernatural for you. You just moved the rock. But for the frog, it was transcendent. It was miraculous. It was the only thing that could have saved him at that moment. And I, I, I really, I, this is this revelation years ago that I got. I realized that when the Lord is doing supernatural things in my life, it's not miraculous for him. It's not supernatural for Jesus. It's just who he is. He is supernatural. He made, that, means, that means bigger than natural. He made the physical laws of nature. He made the way our bodies work. He made the way this planet works. Now, sin corrupted it, but it's still the foundation is the way that Jesus made it. When we say supernatural, that means he's outside of that, and he can change the laws of nature. He can change the physicalness of our body or circumstances or anything. Why? Because he's outside of it, and he is not limited to it. It's not miraculous for, for, for God to remove the rock off our life to him. But to us, it is amazingly miraculous. It's the everything. It's the transcendent moment that, that eclipses uh, time, space, laws of nature and everything because Jesus does something supernatural. And I've experienced that, and I'm sure many of you in here have experienced those moments when God does something that, that, that the laws of nature 
say can't happen. Okay, let, let me just ask that. How many of you have ever experienced something that you know was a miracle? Could not have happened in the natural. Right. That moment is a God moment. Now here's the thing. When God did that, it didn't tax him. When you took the rock off the frog, it didn't tax you. It's not, it's not like Jesus is straining to get that miracle to happen. He's not having to work harder that day. It's not like the, the lights in heaven dims because he's powering up. But I think sometimes, guys, we think like that, that, that we think somehow. Because, and here's the way that I know this, is we put miracles into categories of, of uh, difficulty for God. Like on a scale of one to five, Lord, I know this is a three and a half. You know how I know this when you're sitting around praying, people in a circle, and you're going around in a circle? What do you need God to do in your life? That is, and then it gets to somebody, and you know, this person had cancer, this person, you know, all this and stuff. And then it gets to this, this one person, this person will say, well, mine's not big like cancer and stuff like that, but I just need God to do this. What we've done at that moment is we have rated the difficulty of the miracles or the importance even of the miracles for Jesus. When, when he says that he is wanting to be completely interacting in our life on all levels with all things, and then even something very insignificant as the hairs on your head are numbered by him. And he wants to be involved. How we think determines our relationship with Jesus. How we think determines his ability or his non-ability to do miracles. Any of this kind of stuff. It, it, Jesus is wanting to do miracles in our life all the time. But most of the time, I think the biggest thing we struggle with is we just don't ask. Or we ask like, we're, like it's uh, um, obligation. Right? Well, as a Christian, I should pray. Okay? And we do this. It's just like praying for our food. How many times have you, just recently, just take the last week or two, how many times have you looked at your food, and I mean really interceded over this food? <laughs> Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank I got some, I got some um, Chipotle Gouda cheese yesterday. I thanked Jesus. That's something to be thankful for, right? So some of you are thinking, well, if, they, if my spouse cooked better meals, I'd be more thankful. That's not what I mean, that the Lord is just providing for us. Guys, we don't think like that, right? When's the last time you got a paycheck and you just thanked Jesus for it? I think about farmers 300 years ago. When they had a good crop, they thanked Jesus for it because they were, they were interceding for that thing constantly up until that time because one hailstorm, they have no crop. When, when's the last time we really just, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. God, I know you're in charge. I know you're God. I know you're the miracle worker. That, Lord, you're the king of everything. I know you can provide. All these different mentalities. When's the last time that we thought about it like that? God wants to do stuff. A lot of times we're not even asking. We're not even believing. We're just praying. Really praying this through. I, I've thought about this myself at different times. Because people ask about praying and fasting and things like that. And specifically fasting. I've had many, many people over the years that I've said, well, you, you really should fast at least one full week a year. I'm saying spiritually, but physically it does great things for you too. Do you realize that the chances, I saw this statistic like 25 years ago, if you will take at least seven days in one calendar year and all you drink is water during that seven days, the chances of you having common colds, allergies, all kinds of stuff go almost to nil during the year. You know that? And if you'll spend that entire week only drinking water and eating only jalapenos, you'll kill everything else. 
Okay. That was free. <laughs> Some of you like. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. I've had people say, well, I can't fast. There's no way that I can. A whole week, I just couldn't do it. I just can't do it. And we have all kinds of reasons and excuses and everything. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Here's my argument with that. You've never had something in your life big enough or more important enough that eclipses all reasons why you can't. Or you just need God to do. You need God to be. I, I knew a minister that found that he had cancer. And he told his wife, he said, I'm going to go check into this motel down the, t- down the road. He, there was, this was pre-cell phones. He said, I'm not turning the TV on. I'm not doing anything. He said, if you really need me, I'll be here, whatever. He said, but all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and fast until God takes my cancer away. Two and a half weeks later, he came back, no cancer. Somebody, somebody asked, well, how did you know it was going to take two and a half weeks? He said, I didn't. I just knew it was going to take till, I, till, till God did it. I wasn't coming back until God healed me. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what I would do in that circumstance. See, here's the questions that immediately start rising in your head. Well, what if God doesn't heal you? Stay in that hotel room forever? See, that kind of thinking is already defeating what God can potentially try to do. If you're looking at how long you're going to have to stay there because he's not going to. You see what I'm saying? It's amazing how we can talk ourselves out of so much stuff that Jesus is wanting to do in our life. Luke chapter 17. Verse 11, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. You understand that means he's getting out of the Jewish epicenter, right? That um, a lot less Jewish people in this area. Um, Now, is that important? I do think it's important for the story because of some of the stuff that unfolds. Um, Well, well, let's just continue with it. You you know, the Samaritan woman, when he goes to to the well and the Samaritan woman is there, He's not in Jewish area. That was actually a very important part of that story when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman and stuff like that. This is why I, I, I really believe from the beginning, we always say that Jesus was all about the Jewish people, but then Paul was called to the Greeks, and so Paul witnessed to the non-Jewish people. Jesus witnessed to, ministered to, prayed for, and did everything to, to many, many non-Jewish people. His heart, in fact, the Samaritan woman issue shows me that I think he was, he was as compassionate on, on non-Jewish people as any Jewish person. Because why? He created them all. He created everybody. Jesus doesn't have stepkids. Except non-Jewish people that are grafted in. They're grafted kids. Not step. Right? So, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. Why are they standing at a distance? They're outside the city. They're unclean. They're not allowed to come in the city because they have leprosy. That's the rules. And um, they're all standing at this distance, but it's amazing to me. They're all standing there. I think they're waiting for Jesus. I think they heard that he was coming because they immediately call out and use his name. So they knew who he was and knew he was coming. And I think they're standing at the edge of the city and they're waiting for Jesus to show up. But they're not allowed to come walking around in the city and look for him. So they're all standing as a group uh, off in the distance and they see Jesus. And they, uh, they cried out, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. They, they, went, they got right to it. They weren't playing around with this. Immediately, Jesus, ha- have mercy on us. 
We can't even get near you because of the laws. We can't even get, we're, we're unclean. We're people with leprosy. You know, for a long, long time, people thought leprosy was uh, like contagious on contact. That you could catch leprosy. You couldn't. It's not a thing. But for a long time, and so not only did these people get put outside the city because they were unclean, and that was, that was the Jewish law, the, the priest determined that. So that means they had already been seen by the priest. The priest had already declared them unclean sometime in the beginning of the leprosy, most likely. And they were put outside the city. So then they would make these colonies together because nobody would come to them. Nobody would care for them. That was... That was part of the deal. They'd count on their own. And then they would come to the city gates and they would ask for people or they would stand at the city edges and they would ask for people to give them food and, and money and stuff like that. And the nice people, the ones that really wanted to help them, would throw food at them because they couldn't get close to them. They wouldn't take it up to them. I know it shows that like in Ben-Hur, but it, they, they didn't go hanging out in the leprosy colonies. They would literally throw the food at them. But the guys were grateful because that's better than most people did. And so these guys are shouting out to Jesus, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, he didn't say you're healed. He didn't uh, lay hands on them. He didn't cast demons out. He didn't do all this stuff. And, I, and I've had some people over the years that I've, I've listened to messages and books and stuff said the reason that Jesus didn't go up and lay hands on them is because they were unclean. I don't think you're, you're, I don't think you're serving the same Jesus I'm serving. He lays hands on, on all of us all the time. None of us clean. He died for us. Why? Because we weren't clean. He covers us with his blood, and that's the only thing that makes us clean. So the idea that somehow he didn't lay hands on them because they weren't clean, come on. Read the rest of the Bible. Jesus, Jesus cared deeply for these guys. I think he was trying to show something here. The reason that he didn't go up and lay hands on them, I think a couple of reasons. But I, I, to me, the, the, the one that, that cuts through all the others is the fact that he wanted to show us that he doesn't even have to say certain words. See, see, this was a big deal. When I was growing up in, in Pentecostal churches in the, in the 1980s, we really got a big thing that kind of came into the church and it moved into the 90s that, that to, to understand spiritual warfare and stuff like that, you had to know the name of the demon. Anybody remember that? goofiness that went through the... you got to know the name of the demon. Jesus didn't call out demons by name. Only a couple of times did that even in, in, was included, and it wasn't so he could cast a demon out. It was to teach us something. It had nothing to do with, with whether he knew the demon's name. Well, you got to know exactly which demon this is. The demon of what? No, you don't. you just got to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you don't have to know anything about all that other stuff. Just know Jesus. But, but I think this is part of what Jesus is doing is, is he's saying time and space are not an issue. I don't have to lay hands on people. I don't have to, that's, yes, we understand that that's the model that he uses most of the time, but not all the time. And he just said, hey, go show yourself to the priest. Look, look at this. Go show yourselves to the priest. And so as they went, that's a great little sentence. As they went, they didn't ask him questions. They didn't ask him why. They didn't argue with him. Well, you know, we're unclean. We're gonna... Jesus, when Jesus said something, some people... Some people, not everybody, but some people got it. This is why a different person in Scripture, Jesus says, this is, the, this is the greatest example of faith that I've ever seen. And that guy wasn't a Jewish guy. He said, this is the greatest example of faith that I've ever seen. Why? Because he just believed Jesus. He just believed him. And he tells these ten guys, go show yourself to the priest. They didn't have, they just took off. 
They just took off. Guys, I, I do believe this is a major important thing when it comes to our faith and believing and praying and all this other stuff. There has to come a moment when you take a step. Until you take a step, everything else is theory or thoughts or words or whatever. But there has to be a moment when you take a step. We talked about that yesterday at, at the men's breakfast. Some of us sitting there. That, that um, Abraham, God had told Abraham, take off and go, do a, go where I told you to go. And he didn't tell him where or anything. There had to be a moment when Abraham took the first step. Step one, take the step. Step two, take another step. I can continue by saying, I think you're seeing the pattern. So, so here's the thing. For every single one of us here, when God has told you something, just do it. Just take the step. Now, different personalities in this room are different about this. Guys, if we're not careful, we can overanalyze what God's trying to tell us. And here's what will happen. The more you begin to analyze, you can talk yourself right out of it. Well, God didn't really need me to do that. I really didn't want to need me to pray for that person. You can talk yourself out of it. That's why we began to analyze. Because what is, what is analyzing doing? We're taking all the, the human elements and we're adding those to the mix. Well, here's the problem with adding human elements to the mix. Most of the time, human elements disagree with what the Holy Spirit has said to you. Most of the time. Very rarely does a human element say, uh, confirm you should be doing this. Right? When God tells you to do something, immediately there's all kinds of reasons why you personally can't do that. What did Moses say? Well, I really can't because, you know, I stutter. I was like, I knew that before I called you. You know, to me, if I'm God, I'm like, Moses, not only do you stutter, you're a moron. Listen to what I'm saying. You got two things against you. But I knew both of those before I called you. Right? I, I've done this with God. God, I can't because of this and I can't because of that. And God says, I knew all that when I called you. But I, but I called you because I know you can do what I ask you to do. Now do it. All right, so they took off. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I think that's cool because Jesus wasn't where they were when they were healed. They take off. On the way, they get healed. Now, I don't know how that happened. Did, did, was it instant? It says as they went. To me, that's kind of a time frame. I don't know. Maybe I'm seeing something there. But as they went, so maybe as they went, it kind of faded away. That would be a cool way to do it in a movie, right? The closer they got as they're running, they're, it's fading. Another option I think would be cooler is like big chunks of leprosy skin would fall off as their jogger, you know, like a finger would fall off and another finger would appear, you know, things like that. Because your, your digits are what was messed up the most in the leprosy. Fingers, uh, toes, stuff like that. Noses, noses and earses, they were really messed up. Wouldn't that be cool, though? You're running along in this big old scabby white thing. Just, am I going too far with this? And it would just boom and hit the ground, and all of a sudden, another ear. You know that would make much better movie that way. I don't know how it happened. You don't know how it happened. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't see it happen. That's important, because look at this. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten? Jesus didn't see it. He didn't see ten people healed. But he knew when he sent them, he knows the God he serves. He knows the Holy Spirit in him, and he knows the power of his voice. And he said, go, and they did. They just did. Here's the process. I can't prove this, but I really believe this is true. What if only eight of them would have taken off? And two of them stayed there wondering. Eight would have been healed and two would have stood there with leprosy. Because it was that step. You got to take that step. So Jesus says, didn't I heal ten? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? He's not slamming this guy because he's a Samaritan. he's, He's... He's saying something here that is revelatory, but I think it's important for us too, and this is why. There, that, to me, that meant there were Jews in that 10 group. There had to have been, right? Okay. So, so some Jews, Samaritans, Galileans are on the border of Galilee and Samaria. Uh, they're there, and they go running off, and a Samaritan comes back. And Jesus is saying, the people that should have got it the most and understood what was going on didn't come back. The ones that should have understood who God is and God's creative power and the fact that God is the healer and he does all the stuff should have come back. They should have understood it. And the Samaritan, the guy that had the least amount of teaching, grew up in this the least, is the one that came back. Do you ever think, and this is a huge just supposition, this is just a thought, do you ever think that stories like this or moments like this may have contributed to stories like the Good Samaritan? That he's saying, you're getting it. My people are not getting it. Let me tell you a story, how we can get it, and then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Think about this. Guys, we want to see Jesus really do some big things around. We want, him to, we want to see him be the supernatural God and do miracles on a regular basis, right? So here's the thing. We are the group, I believe, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, I really believe this. We are part of the group that should be getting it the most. Right? I would say most of you are Christians. I don't know who's not, who is. If you're not, we're going to pray at the end of the service. Um, we have a very strong Pentecostal foundation. I would say a good chunk of you are, are, are already know that, understand that, and are Pentecostal. Guys, that means that we believe that healing is something that Jesus does in our lives right now all the time. So we get it, right? We get it. So we should be the people that are saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Okay, go show yourself. We take off running, and then we come back and thank him, and then we go running again because we get it. Jesus is saying, even though I healed them all, only one of them really got it. That, it's, that I'm the source of this, that I'm the reason for this. And Jesus said to him, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Now this is important because this term here is, this, is the exact same term that's used in James chapter 5. In the New Living Translation here, it is translated, your faith has healed you. It could just as easily be translated, in fact, I believe it should be translated as your faith has saved you. That's To me, that's the proper translation of this. That's the exact same thing that James 5 says. And he's sick among you, called the elders, 
um, lay hands on lay hands on them, pray the prayer of faith. And at the end of that, it says, and you will be, and many English translations translate it as, you will be healed, because that's the context it's in, and it kind of seems to make sense with that. Except I think they change the context when they do that, and it's a misrepresentation of the translation. Because what it should say is, you pray the prayer of faith, and you will be saved. That's the way it should be translated. Same as this. It should be translated, your faith has saved you. Now, why is that important? When I do the messages, when I'm preaching on healing, only on healing, I'm talking about that, I believe that healing is provided at the cross. Jesus says, by my stripes, the the beating that I took during the crucifixion is when I provided for your healing. In other words, your healing comes at the cross moment, just like your salvation comes at the cross moment. It's no different for Jesus. It's only different for us. Isaiah 53 says that you are healed at the cross. That's when it happens. Peter quotes Isaiah 53 later and says, you were, past tense, healed at the cross. This is past tense for Peter. That's 2,000 years before us. Past tense. See, see why am I saying all that? Because I, I, I just know that Jesus wants to heal us. And I think we wonder and question if he desires to or if it's his plan or if he really is going to. And then we come up with all the reasons why he's not going to. And guys, we do that with everything else in our life. I, I was talking with, um, with a guy this last week, and he's been going through a bunch of stuff, a, a whole lot of stuff. And, and he said to me, he says, you know, I've never <clears throat> in my life, I've never questioned whether God loves me. And he said... I'm really questioning whether God loves me right now. Man, that cut me deep. That hurt my soul for him. And, and I've known him for a, a while. And, uh, and I told him, I said, you've dealt with other things that are bigger than this. And I, I gave him an example. He said, yeah, I know, but I, I, didn't, I didn't question God at that moment. But I'm really questioning whether God's going to come through and really show me he loves me during this, this time. And I told him, I said, okay, then, then we got to pray about this right now. And we did. But I told him, I said, the reason we're praying is not because of the circumstance, but because according to 2 Corinthians 10, you've allowed Satan to change the way you think about God. He hasn't changed God. He hasn't piled up too much for you to deal with. But he has convinced you that maybe God, whatever, doesn't love you, isn't going to do this or whatever. I said, the issue here is, is in your mind and your heart. It's not in what's going on. As it's never in the circumstances. It's in how we see God in the middle of the circumstances. It's how we understand God in the middle of the circumstances. And man, it, it hurt me for him. Because he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord deeply. And Satan has just he's got him in a corner and he's pummeling him. And I, 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 mean, I hate when I see that. And here's the thing. I can pray. I can talk and do it. But somewhere he has to make that decision. Somewhere he has to say, God, I know you love me. God, I know this is, that you're in charge of my life. I know this is not too big for you. He's got to do that. Nobody else can do that for him. As it's for every one of us in here, you've got to decide 
whether or not Jesus is big enough to handle anything in your life. A few questions. Number one, what can Jesus do? It's a great starting point. What can he do? Just, you know, just, I'm not saying out loud, please don't. Um, but just in, randomly in your mind right now, these are the things God can do, that Jesus can do. Boom, say them. He can heal, he can, he can provide. I mean, you could, you could spend all day doing that. So then the second question is, what can Jesus do in your life specifically? Now, this, this brings another element to this. It's not just what can Jesus do, but now it begins to determine how you see Jesus in your life specifically. What can he do in your life? Which means you have to determine in your spirit, in your own heart, whether you think he wants to. That's a big hurdle for a lot of people. We, we begin to question whether Jesus wants to do something in our life. Not if he's big enough or powerful enough. I think most Christians believe that Jesus is big enough or powerful enough, but they don't necessarily believe Jesus wants to do something in their life. It's a whole lot easier for me to pray for other people than pray for myself. Why? No strings attached praying for somebody else. Win or lose, it's their deal. When I begin to pray for me, now it's me. Every string is attached. There are no strings that are not attached. And now I'm praying for me. What can Jesus do in your life? Third question, does Jesus want to do this stuff in your life? Does he want to? You've got to determine that. Nobody else can determine that for you guys. You've got to determine that for yourself. And, and, and without, without realizing it, your answer to any of these questions are a, um, are a, uh, a, a, a determinant of your faith. It's a, it's, a, it's a measure of your faith. How do you, not like a good or bad, I'm saying it, it uh, shows you the scope of your faith. Do you think this is Jesus? Do you believe he can? Do you believe he can't? You understand what I'm saying? Because you have to determine that. Do you believe that Jesus wants to? Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I love this. They just know he's near. They don't know how near. They're blind. But they begin to shout out, have mercy on us. We're over here. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I like the fact that they use the term Son of David too. They're, <clears throat> they're putting him in the category of, of um, Judaism, spiritual direction, and leadership. And by saying Son of David, they are saying potentially the Messiah by using that term. That's just okay. So they shout out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them, because you can always depend on people to be nice and do the right thing. But they only shouted louder. Don't you love that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little sidebar here, a little side road. I've been thinking about this a lot. You, you guys know I've said this before. I, I don't wear masks anymore. I mean, unless somebody asks me to, I don't wear a mask. And I've only been asked before yesterday. I was only asked one time previously for, for, to put my mask on. I've been in restaurants, grocery stores, uh, everywhere. Anywhere you can go, I've been. Sometimes I just go in a place just so I not wear a mask. <laughs> Gas stations, I don't wear a mask, and nobody says anything. And somebody told me after first service this morning that the Walmart on Woodman is no longer requiring you to wear a mask. They don't have the signs up. They don't say anything. They don't do anything. 
Well, I, I go in places, and, and this was the strongest that happened to me yesterday. I went into Lowe's, and uh, I didn't have a mask on, and people were walking around, and they look right at me, take their mask off, put it in their pocket, and they're like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> power to the people, you know, that kind of thing. So I haven't been wearing my mask, I haven't been wearing my mask, all this kind of thing. So yesterday, I went into Sprouts. I know, that's what my wife said. It wasn't Whole Foods. They would have shot me in Whole Foods. <laughs> I went into Sprouts, and, uh, and the whole time, this makes Lynn nervous, okay? The whole time, she's like, they're going to ask you to put your mask on. They're going to ask you to put your mask on. They're going to ask you. And she won't look at anybody. They won't ask you. You know, <clears throat> I'm just walking around, picking out a nice ribeye to eat at the house, and some Chipotle cheese. And so... So I'm walking around, this lady comes up to me and says, sir, do you have a mask? I said, yes. I waited. And she said, could you put it on, please? I said, let me ask you a question. And, and by the way, guys, I'm not argumentative with them. This is the strongest I've been yet, okay? I, I, I don't believe being a jerk fixes anything, okay? But I said, if I don't put on my mask, are you going to put me in jail? She said, no, but I am going to ask you to leave the store. And I said, okay, I will leave the store. I have a mask in my pocket. I could just put it on. And I said, okay, I will leave the store. And that's all. I wasn't rude or anything. She didn't know we were already headed for the registers. We were already going. Linda's like, you need to leave now. She said, you said you were going to leave. You promised you were going to. I said, I'm leaving. <laughs> and uh, she got, we got up toward the register. She grabbed the buggy, took off. She said, now go, go, go. And so I walked out of the store. But, but here's the thing I, I, I did. I, Lynn and I were talking about it afterwards. Because, guys, I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. I'm not. But, but, I, but I really do believe this, okay? Listen to this. First, it's, it, it's not right for them to ask us to wear masks. It is not right. They don't have that kind of power of authority, except that they, you just won't shop in their place, okay? But here's what, I, here's what I think. And I told my wife, I said, I won't do that as much with you around anymore because I know it makes you uncomfortable. But you have to know I'm going to continue to do this because I believe this. I'm not, I'm not having a rally cry. This isn't a Trump speech, stage, you know, storm the Capitol. He didn't say that anyway. But this is not what that is, okay? This is what I'm saying. I'm going to be a guy that will stand up against that stuff. Because I believe if you go into even Sprouts, maybe even Whole Foods, if 50 people went into Sprouts without masks, they would get tired and stop telling you to leave. I believe that 100%. If you just wouldn't wear a mask, you may have some bad looks or whatever, but you may, you may be surprised at how many people will see you. When I was in Lowe's, at least 20-something people took their mask off when they saw me. But Lowe's didn't care. I talked to two people, two of the people, and they just sat and talked to me through their mask. I'm, I'm talking to Lowe's people. Why? Because I believe, guys, that this is wrong. It's, it's, I believe it's even actually immoral, what they've been asking for our country to do. And there's places all over the United States that don't wear masks. So one state, it's not healthy, and another state, it is? Come on! So, so I just, 
I'm going to push back and I'm going to be that guy. I'm not saying you need to. I'm not asking for a rally cry. I'm not doing any of that. But I do believe that there are people like me. (laughs) When I say it that way, I mean that as a good thing. (laughs) There are people like me that will just be willing for people to be mean and rude and do whatever because I want to cut through all the stuff and let's get to reality. And I'll care. I told my wife, and not in a mean way, I'm not being picky to her. It was, it was, she was about to throw up. But I, 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 was, I told her, I'll be that guy so that you don't have to wear a mask pretty soon. I'll be that guy. Now, let's bring it back to this. That's a side note to get you thinking a certain way, because here's the deal. They said, be quiet, and these guys only shouted louder. There has to come a time in your spiritual walk when no matter what anybody else is saying, you know that Jesus is bigger than the circumstance. No matter what, you may have grown up with people saying Jesus doesn't heal today. The church may have told you something that's not true. You've got to be able to cut through that and say, but Jesus, you're the healer. There has to be times when you know that every circumstance is saying you are trapped under this rock forever, but you've got to know that Jesus is bigger than the rock, and you've got to keep shouting out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Regardless of what anybody thinks about that, regardless of what, whether they agree with you or whatever, Jesus, you're the king, you're the one that's in charge, and I'm going to keep shouting. I'm even going to start shouting louder. And I really believe in a general sense in our country, the church has got to start shouting louder. But here's the thing. We've got to stop shouting at people, and we've got to start shouting for Jesus' mercy on us. And when we get that, some things are going to break through and break out. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want for me to do? I've wondered about that. What if Jesus asked you that right now? What do you want for me to do? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? Would you be honest? Would you answer? This is the thing, like the the um, Miss America contest. They they come up and they interview all the Miss America and they say, I don't know if that's socially legal anymore to have a Miss America contest, but they come to him and say, What do you want most in life right now? I want world peace. That's not true. They don't want world peace more than anything else. What do they want more than anything else? To be Miss America. <laughs> to win. And they want everybody else to lose. Am I wrong? How many of them, they come, what would you like most right now? I would like uh, Miss New Jersey to win Miss America. No. If Jesus says to you right now, what do you want more than anything? What can I do for you? As my suggestion is just be honest with him. He already knows. Be honest with him. Tell him, Lord, I really, I really need you to do this. I need you to do this. As when we are open and honest with the Lord, it cuts away a lot of the stuff that, that hinders him trying to do stuff. Be open, be honest, and, and really talk to him. Really, really tell him. And they said, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. That's another reason Jesus will touch your life. Sometimes he just feels sorry for you. That's good enough for me. Is it good enough for you? Sometimes it's not just like big plan or whatever. Sometimes he's just like, oh, they really could use my help right now. And then he does something. Instantly they could see and they followed him. Why don't you stand with me? We would have got out on time, but Logan took a bunch of time earlier. <laughs> Verse 
So here's the things. We want to pray about this. Somewhere in here is where you're kind of marked right there, and this is where you pray. Okay? First thing, we need to pray and get it in our spirit. Jesus wants to do stuff in your life. Guys, it may be where you start. If you're not convinced of that, start right there and pray, Jesus, change my thinking, change my thinking. I want to believe that you, that you want to do stuff. The second thing, that Jesus has to cut through all the things that we've put there. So pray about that. Lord, I've always thought this, change that. Change my thinking. I know you're big. Prove to, in my spirit first that you're bigger than anything in my life, and then it'll come out in my prayers. Pray that. The third thing is that Jesus really just wants us to ask and believe. Just ask him. Start with just asking. Sometimes that's where we're hindered, so just ask him. So, um, bow your head, and I'm going to ask you a question real quick. How many of you in here really need Jesus just to do something right now? Just raise your hand. Keep your hand up. I really need Jesus to do something. doesn't matter what it is. Remember, to Jesus, it's just moving the rock. It could be huge for you. But for Jesus, it's just moving the rock. Just moving the rock. Jesus, you see our hands. You see our hearts. You know our needs. So Jesus, do something supernatural. Or do something outside the natural. Invade our lives with your overwhelming power. Invade our minds with the knowledge that you're the word. Before anything else was, you were. And you created all things. You are the word. All you do is speak and worlds come into existence. So Jesus, just speak into our life. Jesus, you can do anything. We know this. Get it into our spirit, not out in front of us or over our heads somewhere. Jesus, get it into our spirit right now that you can do anything and that you desire to do this stuff. For every one of these needs, Lord, every one of them, you can, you can answer every one of them right now instantaneously. Before we ever walk out of this building, they're done. They're, they're, they're finished. They're healed. They're set free. They're redeemed. They're fixed. Everything. You can do it right now. So Jesus, just be, just be you in our life and help us to stop fighting it, pushing against it, resisting it. In Jesus' name. Lord, expand my spiritual horizons. Break off, break off all the stuff that I've allowed to build up in my mind and my spirit. Break off all of the edges, the walls, Callous, calluses that I've built up. Lord, destroy the doubt, the fear, the unbelief. Tear away at our desire to try to be able to figure it all out and answer it all and understand it all. Jesus, just be big and explode in our lives. As you know, I don't say this stuff very often, but I do want to say this as we're going. 
I, I, I feel this in this room more than I normally would say I do. You, you guys know I don't say stuff like this. I, I feel like God, I can sense God is doing some big stuff in us. I can, I can sense this. I can, I can feel faith bubbling. I don't know how to say it because I don't talk about this stuff very often. I feel your faith bubbling. It feels nice. Here's what I want you to do, okay? This week, when God does something supernatural, specifically what we just prayed about, when God does something supernatural, send me a text or an email or something, okay? Um, send it to the office if you don't know my email. If you know the office email, just replace office with Scott. Um, send, send me a message. Say, God just did this. You don't have to tell me the de- details. Just say, God did it. That stuff pumps me up. You have no idea how much that stuff pumps me up. Okay? So be praying for everything that's coming up. Be praying, trusting God, believing, and just let God be God. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Don't forget, uh, there's an offering plate at the back for our, uh, Logan. Write it out to the church, though. Don't write it to Logan. You'll mess up his taxes. And we will see you Cinco de Mayo Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day. Pray.